Hey, I'm Will, and this is Benj. We're both church planners trying to work out how to form churches in this post-pandemic world. I lead a church that's trying to grow big. And I lead a church that's trying to grow small. But we share an interest in the beautiful and diverse future of the church in Australia. What will it look like? How will it adapt and innovate and thrive? If you're asking these questions too, then join us as we host a range of conversations with diverse thinkers and practitioners around what comes next. Welcome to the Forming Church Podcast, brought to you by Gen 1K and our vision to see a thousand healthy churches in a generation. Well, dear friends, this is a roundtable episode. What does that mean, Bench? Well, it means we are continuing the conversation from last week's episode. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, go back and listen to that. That will give you context for what we're talking about today. Jamie Freeman and a couple of friends that he's pulled in are going to go through that episode and kind of help to unpack it and flesh it out in different contexts. So this is your chance to go deeper and consider what these ideas might look like where you are. This episode is sponsored by Baptist Financial Services. Invest with purpose. Find out more at bfs.org.au. Welcome to the Forming Church Podcast Roundtable Conversation. Uh, In the last interview, Benj and Will interviewed Nigel about business, social enterprise, faith community, what it's like owning, growing, um, multiplying businesses on the other side of the Dutch. But today I have with me um, some good friends from Victoria, uh, Jono and Lee. Guys, do you want to introduce yourselves and just share a bit about your context? Sure thing. Um, So I'm Jono. Uh, I'm a uh, father of two little girls uh, and live with my wife, Katie, uh, and we uh, are now living in the northwestern suburbs of Melbourne. We've lived here for the past three years, uh, where we've been working alongside the Baptist Union of Victoria um, and also the developers of our new housing estate where we live and also local government to look at community development afresh um, and also with the BUV looking at faith community afresh as well. That's the brief 30-second rundown. That's fantastic. I'll just jump in, Jono, because you have had um, ministry experience in in a bunch of different contexts. Uh, For our listeners, they're going to be spread out across not only New South Wales and the ACT, but all of Australia and beyond. And so they're going to be ministering in uh, a mixture of contexts, urban, rural, suburban, etc. So can you maybe paint a, a brief history on your ministry experience before you found yourself in the middle of suburbia housing estate? Yeah, sure. So um, uh, I, I grew up in churches with my dad being a pastor in the middle of New South Wales in Dubbo and, and Narrabri. Uh, and I've done some uh, youth work, particularly with uh, local Koori kids in, in Dubbo. Um, I've done some uh, pastoral ministry in a small country church uh, in, in northwestern Victoria or in Donald as well. So done that pastoral ministry thing for about seven and a half years uh, as well. Um, And I'm also a primary school teacher. Um, So I've done uh, primary school teaching and also chaplaincy uh, in schools um, as well. So that's, yeah. That's super helpful. Thank you. Lee, how about you? Yeah, a bit of a different background. So um, my husband and I, Norman, um, came to faith much later in adulthood. And uh, we were from a, both from a business background. Uh, when we met and, and got married uh, 13 years ago, we, um, I, I 
already got two children. So we're, you know, suddenly became this family of four. And we decided that the best expression of our faith was in a missional context was to open a fair trade shop and cafe, which has morphed into a coffee roastery along the way. So that's been our business social enterprise background. And then um, through some mutual friends and conversations, we um, joined with Jono and the Wheel of Aintree um, initiative here in Rockbank. And we are also neighbours. So we moved into um, house, the house next door to Jono and Katie, and we live as uh, sort of one, one household in, in many ways. Um, and, you know, work very much behind the scenes in the cafe and business side of what we do as a team. So that's a bit of our background. So can you guys share a bit more on your living situation? Because I visited your place and I remember like in housing estates, most of the houses look very, very similar. And I walked out the back door and (laughs) there was no fence between your houses. And it was very strange. And there was this communal space. Can you share a bit about the heart behind that and what that looks like uh, from a day-to-day, week-to-week basis? Sure. Um, yeah, so uh, it's interesting you say the houses all look the same. Actually, my house and Lee's house is the exact same house floor plan. We have a different front facade because you're not allowed to have the same front facade in our, our state side by side. So a different looking front, but the exact same floor plan mirrored down our title boundary. So we actually have the exact same house. Uh, but um, what we, what Katie and I, my wife and I, uh, we're looking for was a deeper sense of community and, and a sense of Christian community that was more than just when you um, gather together to, for church on Sunday and maybe for a Bible study midweek and, and whatever, but something where every element and every aspect of our life was shared uh, with somebody else uh, or with others. Um, yeah, we, we wanted to find that intentional community, I guess, um, had done a fair bit of reading around some new monastic kind of models of co-housing and living together. And it, and it had struck me for some time, but I'd never had the opportunity. So when these two houses were built side by side and Norman Lee were living in one and we were going to live in the other, we had the opportunity to um, build a boundary fence or not. And we opted not to because Norman Lee kind of wanted the same kind of life as us. And instead, prophetically, I guess, we decided to put a fire pit uh, where the middle of the fire pit goes straight through the middle of the tidal boundary and the middle of our um, our outdoor kitchen goes straight through the middle of the, the tidal boundary. We've got a pizza oven on one side and we've got a, um, a barbecue on the other side and the fire pit in the middle. And so it's this idea prophetically, I guess, of community and connection where uh, traditionally there should be a place of division and separation. Mm. And also for, for Norman and I, although we'd been working on our own with our um, micro church and missional um, work in Sunbury for 13 years prior, we always knew and dreamt of a um, co-housing setup and a way of actually living the faith in the everyday rather than um, 
in trying to do it in this sort of micro form and in alternative forms that we were experimenting with over time. So we only met Jono and Katie like two months before we moved in and we'd, <laughs> we'd never, we always just, just, oh, hello, you know, kind of thing. The dogs seem to get on. Um, <laughs> that's a plus. And then we just said, right, we're in because the beauty of it is with having that faith background for all of us and an understanding of the importance of, of living this rather than just being this um it was really exciting to be able to have the opportunity to do this and it's worked out really really well I mean we've lived um on this uh, space together now for two years and um and you're still friends we're still friends that's fantastic (laughs) so just for our listeners this is a new suburb that's coming into existence and you guys are setting up not only life together as a faith community in that place, but you're, you have a, a social enterprise. Um, do you want to explain a bit more about We Love Aintree and, and, and the, the different elements of what that is? Yeah, so um, our suburb's called Aintree. Uh, it was gazetted only in 2017 or 18 as Aintree. And, and so um, we wanted to take that commandment of Jesus to love your neighbour uh, seriously, uh, and to um, create a, a non-profit organisation uh, that would assist anyone and everyone in our uh, in our neighbourhood uh, to do the same, um, regardless of whether they had the same belief system as us or not. So, so we wanted to help people love where they live, love their neighbour. So we had we love Aintree, uh, and the idea around that was for it to become a vehicle for some of the community development work that I had started prior to starting the nonprofit uh, and and an opportunity to expand and and grow that. But traditionally, the way that community development has has worked is that you get funded by a local government organisation or by um, some other external organisation to do community development. And you're totally reliant on external funds or grants or uh, whatever it might be uh, all the time. And so we wanted to explore, or I wanted to explore a model of um, self-funded community development via business uh, where the business also achieved the vision of the, the overall community development. So we've, um, we had an opportunity to start uh, a cafe in relationship with the, with the developers. They needed a cafe in their new sales centre. So we've been doing that for the last 18 months. Uh, uh, in a partnership with a developer and the, and the profits from within the cafe go back into the community development. And then in September uh, last year, we launched our second social enterprise, um, Eat, Grow, Garden, which is a uh, youth mentoring, youth employment, youth training organisation in um, parks and gardens. Uh, so garden maintenance, vegetable growing, um, garden construction, that kind of Kind of work so that's a fledgling social enterprise that we've just started uh and the cafe is about 18 months so i guess you could say that's fledgling as well <laughs> um but both of those social enterprises uh work to achieve our our vision of connection and belonging across the neighborhood uh to to um help our our neighborhood love where they live and at the same time feeding into some of the other community development work that requires funds and doesn't necessarily generate its own, own income. Mm. That's great. Thank you for that picture. 
So you guys have listened to Nigel's interview. I'd love to hear from your perspective, like what stood out to you? What struck you as you heard him share about what was happening um, in New Zealand? Um, It was fantastic to hear his story. And we all reflected on later how we could hear our own struggle within his story. Um, You know, I mentioned that um, my husband, Norman and I had been running for 13 years with a coffee roastery and it took the first 12 of those years to become an overnight success mm-hmm. um and it's, you know you what what i related to too was don't do this alone and we had been um only because at the time we uh, didn't know any other way um and i was very inspired by that and feel that connecting in with jono and katie and others in our team, we are now setting up a better way going forward where we've got a collective, which is something that really inspired me about the work of this team. Um, there's 23 of them at the core. We, you know, I dream of that happening and I hope to see us achieve that. So I'm very interested in, in how that works. I can't wait till we can go and visit and look at how that interplays with the church and the business structure and the leadership models that that they use. That's great. How about you, Jono? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it was a fascinating story of Nigel's. And, and like Lee said, um, I really resonated with a bunch of what he said as hearing my own story within it, the, the idea of not wanting to get paid to lead a faith community. That's, that's my story as well after, you know, a similar length of time to Nigel in pastoral ministry. And going, oh, I want to do something different where we can still lead a community of faith that has impact in the neighbourhood, wanting to be genuinely grounded in a place um, as well and ha- see our faith community have impact in a particular location. But then um, uh, not looking to those people in my faith community to, to donate money to pay for my salary, but recognising that I can do good work in the neighbourhood that can pay for a salary and, and also employ a bunch of other people mm. as well uh, and do it sort of generate that local economy uh, and, um, and generate, you know, good and, and, and working for the common good in, in the neighbourhood through, through business uh, and community development and other things. So I really resonated with that when Nigel was saying some of those things and I was inspired by the, the creativity of the different businesses and partnerships and things that Nigel's been able to create with his team over there, uh, recognising the different ways each of those businesses connect with a different group of people within the neighbourhood. Um, that, that's really inspiring. And uh, 13 years in one place uh, generating all of that uh, goodwill and good work yeah, is, is amazing. I was struck... Um as I heard Nigel's interview and then also reflecting on parts of your story that I know and just the connection with the council and the developer and for him that connection with a local business owner and that sense of uh, favour or partnership. Um, Do you want to share a bit about uh, how that similar experience you've had in in, in your context? Yeah, so um, I started work in our neighbourhood in community development via a partnership between uh, the, the BUV, the Baptist Union of Victoria, partnering with local government and partnering with the developer. 
where all three organisations recognised the need for community development in a new place uh, and all three decided to pitch in to the, to the common bucket uh, to pay a salary. Um, and to my knowledge, that kind of partnership, I had never heard of that before and I did some research trying to find out if that had ever happened in Australia and maybe it has, but I couldn't find it. It seemed like the, the first time a faith organisation had done that kind of trio partnership for the sake of community development. Um, and what's been amazing is it, through that, very early on, uh, we started having conversations with the developer about business and social enterprise. And, um, and so our, our cafe, which is in direct partnership with them, it's in their sales office. So it, it serves a purpose for them in terms of their sales and land sales. But that was a fully kitted out um, brand new venue, um, which we didn't have to, um, you know, pay for. They, they, they built that and kitted that out for us. We get a peppercorn uh, lease arrangement on that as well. Um, and it's, so it's a pretty good wicket to try and run a hospitality business. Anyone out there who's ever been in hospitality knows how difficult it is, particularly in your first mm. couple of years, to try and make ends meet. Um, and so some tremendous, um, a tremendous partnership there and a surprising one, might I add, them knowing full well who they were going into partnership with. Uh, and then when um, uh, my initial seed funding for community development ran out in three years, um, the Baptist Union, they've got a commitment to us via the houses and uh, which they built, the houses that we live in. Uh, but both the developer and local government decided to pitch in again for another three years to help support the nonprofit that I founded a couple of years prior. Um, so again, just uh, a, a really interesting partnership, and, and I find it quite amazing that they would um, that they would see the things that we do as being valid and and valid enough to open their checkbook for that. Because. Being entrepreneurial, starting social enterprise, there's a level of risk involved mm -hmm. in all of that. Starting a church, there's a risk involved in that. What is the role, do you both think, of partnership and relationship in minimising that risk? Um, I think it's, it's essential for it because, um, you know, just sorry to keep harping back to our story, but it's it's in it's an example of what it's like to do it on your own. Mm. We were part of a denomination who did not want the risk and um, pulled out very early. So uh, you know, Norman and I carried on with Just Planet Coffee Roastery as a a model that we will just have to do it because we've been given this sort of mandate to do this, and we know that we have to integrate business and life in. Uh, missional expression and so we just plowed ahead by ourselves and it's been a hard slog mm -hmm. now as a team with we love aintree and the partnerships that we can now and also the the fabulous um support from the buv in terms of letting us run with this model with mm -hmm. very little you know um input from them they just support us in any way they can yeah. um has uh, given us immense freedom as a team of people to think about what we, what we can do next and really we dream up ideas quite frequently what about this shall we run with that next what's our next social enterprise going to be now for the first time as a group of people with a backup of um, knowing that, first of all, the BUV are right behind all of this. Secondly, that local government recognise the value of this. 
And the developer has certainly, oh, it's, it's a partnership that's mutually benefit with beneficial to them too, mm. to have us on board. Um, together, we can actually really make some changes in the neighbourhood. Mm. It's, as Nigel says, not something you should ever do alone. Mm. You have to partner and you have to be generous enough to see opportunity and embrace it and bring it in. You know, if we find uh, a gelati maker in the neighbourhood we'll be bringing her in too and she can definitely have a, a plot alongside what we're doing and I love that story about Crave that they see opportunity and they jump on it mm-hmm. and we feel now because of partnership we can take those risks because they're slightly more calculated risks mm-hmm. than they would be trying to do it by ourselves so that's the value of partnership there's so much more power within it to do good things in the neighborhood that's fantastic <laughs> And that risk gets shared um, where everybody puts in a little bit of risk or, t- or takes a little bit of risk. We probably take the most risk in some areas, um, but when that risk gets shared, there's, uh, there's more room for creativity. There's more mm. room for dreaming um, because you're not worried about one element uh, you know, falling over and killing the whole thing mm. because there's some other people sharing that risk sharing um, their their gifts and their abilities and their talents to sort of support that and make it work. Mm-hmm. And so it, it frees you up as an entrepreneur or an apostle type leader to forge ahead into new places and to do new things because you know that at least part of the risk is, is covered over here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel a bit more freedom in that. Definitely. That's, so what have you learned about doing partnership well? How, how do you do partnership well? It's it's based on trust. So much of it is based on trust and reputation. Um, and if you don't do the reputation work well, you can't expect to ever be invited into partnership. Um, it, and so you know that in business anyway. You know those people where people say, oh, they're a good business person. I would never enter business into business with them, <laughs> but they're very savvy, right? And, and so you will build a reputation uh, regardless of whether you're trying or not. And so it's actually really, really important to focus a fair bit of energy in, into what kind of reputation you're building as you engage with other potential partners um, because the people that you do end up partnering with will tell other people what they think of you, whether you want them to or not. And so you've really got to make sure that reputation stacks up. Um, otherwise, you can not only lose that partnership, you might, you know, blow your chances in other places as well. So that trust, integrity and, and reputation, I think, is is huge. Yeah. And coming off that authenticity in the neighbourhood, mm. if we're talking about belonging and wanting to be part of the neighbourhood, how do we demonstrate that, you know? Are we part of the local health community? Are we part of the local sporting community? Are we part of other aspects of the community? And and we are, you know, we are here to be embedded and and to be part of linked to people in the community. So we join everything and we join in everything and we support what already exists. Mm. Um, And that's so fundamental to community development is that we're not reinventing the wheel. We are spotting opportunity where God's already at work in the neighbourhood and joining that work so that we are creating a more level playing field for people to rise up 
and be part of the work we do, which is something again that I think Crave have really um, got going there. They, they've seen opportunity and taken it on board and not just looked at a sort of um, a model that, that makes them look good in the neighbourhood on their own. You know, they're trying to support everybody in the neighbourhood so everybody rises together, so to speak. Yeah, which is a quite a beautiful thing. That's great. Sounds like you guys would really value connecting with the Crave community. If you could ask Nigel a follow-up question, what would it be? And maybe we can uh, arrange it. Great. <laughs> I think. Um, I think what I would want to know is um, uh, the the interplay between uh, Mosaic. Uh, and the businesses, particular, particularly around governance, um, how many people are involved in that? Where does that kind of sit with, with all the part ownerships of different businesses and, and things like that that they have? And then who else is involved in the governance if they're not from Mosaic? Uh, and, and how did that sort of work? So, And, and then a follow-up on that would be around um, the the front that's presented to the neighbourhood and to people generally um, connecting with those businesses, um, how much of the backstory and the other bits do they, do they know and how important is that um, for those sorts of things? Because I think there's lots of conversations around churches running businesses or running social enterprises and there's lots of difficult stories mm. about churches not doing that well uh, or taking over the entrepreneurial spirit of a business yeah. and, and not allowing it to go forward. And so how has he managed all of those things mm. when you're dealing with potentially a very diverse group of people at Mosaic who also have stakes in these businesses? So I'd like to know about that. What I'd like to know, going on the, the theme of authenticity, is, you know, I'm passionate about small business and I've always been in business and, um you know, I, I want to see people in, in the church inspired to, to start their own social enterprise and to get this show on the road. And so in that, I do know that it's a struggle and I'd really like to know that other side of the coin. I want to know what's the struggle been, Nigel? How have you managed all of this along the way? And when things went wrong and we, you had a blowout of a $2 million refit, that must have been hugely stressful. And I mean, it, it mentions too at the nine month mark wanting to give up. I totally get that. Um, it is such a struggle, small business. And it is an even bigger struggle when it's something where you're doing it as a social enterprise and there's so much at stake with what you do. And in that sense, um, I'd love to hear that side too, the struggle stories as well. Mm, yep. um, to give a real picture for people who want to go in Yes, go in still. But when you hit these particular hurdles and struggles, just this is how we work through those difficulties. You know, that's what I'd love to hear. That sounds like a great conversation that I'd love to be a part of over a morning cider. Can you guys um, suggest a concrete next step for people who are wanting to explore this whole idea of so social enterprise, um, faith communities, being embedded in their neighbourhood, working with their neighbourhood to see it be a place that flourishes? Yeah, what are some next steps? Um, I think uh, particularly for people who are those entrepreneurial types and those apostle types, they probably don't need to be told this in some ways, but sometimes they do need to be given permission and that's, 
just to to do it, like to to follow what they feel like God is saying to them to do and to start and not to be afraid of starting something new. Um, but then I, it's really similar advice to what Nigel gave in the podcast, to be honest, and, and that's don't do it alone. And And I think a really important part for someone who might be thinking through establishing something new, whether it be a business or some other initiative or a faith community, is to um, find a, a, a coach-type person mm. um, who can journey with them over particularly the planning and the startup phase um, to, to not to, to absolutely step out there and do it, but to be strategic in setting up those people who can help you manage that risk uh, and to, to help you um, not make the mistakes. You know, for us, for instance, we love coaching people in, mm. in uh, startups and those sorts of things. So we can tell you all the things not to do. <laughs> we, can, we can help you as you think through those things because of the, the experiences that we have had. And I think that kind of relationship has been really, really helpful for me. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that would be a good next step for people. Yeah, I think... When you, as John has said, you know, quite rightly, entrepreneurs will do it anyway. And apostolic, you know, thinking you will do it anyway. So that combination's uh, lethal. They'll just do it anyway. And I think what they need to know, um, especially if you're young and starting out in this, is that people in the faith who've got that apostolic thinking and are entrepreneurial are willing to share because we see a bigger vision in it all taking off. You know, I want another cafe to start up roundabouts here who are doing the same thing. I'm not, we're not threatened by that because it's mm. a bigger picture of the kingdom. And so we're willing to help. And, they, and asking for help is not a weakness or a sign of any kind of failure. It, it will enhance what you do and you can, get, you can get some steps up the ladder a bit ahead, you know, by somebody who's already done a bit of the work already. And, and seen the pitfalls and, and found a way through. So be encouraged to ask those questions. Um, we're certainly putting our hands up there to yep. help anybody who needs the help, okay? That's some great advice, guys. How can people learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, look, if, you, if you've got access to the internet, you can learn a reasonable amount uh, about us by looking up We Love Aintree, um, weloveaintree.org. Uh, and we love Aintree at, uh, on social media and then our subsequent social enterprises, there's links via those two um, platforms to, to some of that sort of stuff. Um, but also just by looking up that, you can just access our phone number yeah. <laughs> and you can call or email us. Um, that, that's fine. I, I get phone calls from people across Australia regularly who have heard about what we've done and um and just rung or sent a message or whatever to ask a question or to ask to come out and visit um, or, or anything like that. We have a big house, uh, two big houses, <laughs> and we have multiple rooms yeah. uh, which are set up for people to come out and stay uh, and to spend time with us um, to, to chat about this stuff and learn about this sort of stuff. So, yeah, you can find all those details online, but what we actually want is not for you to just to read about us and about what we've done, but to actually mm. connect personally with us um, and um, and chat, whether that's over the phone, email, or in person, mm. um, that that's what you can do. 
That's fantastic. What a generous offer. And we'll include the link uh, to the website in the show notes, which is fantastic. And uh, guys, it's just been a really amazing conversation. And uh, thank you for your honesty and for your wisdom. And um, yeah, it's just been really good. So thank you. And uh, thank you for listening to the Forming Church podcast. You too can join the conversation online through the Forming Church podcast Facebook group or follow us on Instagram.